so um i had i i I think i was full professor at the time so i had kind of earned my stripes as in my real job as a professor and then uh, this opportunity came up and initially i thought just like many other things in in my life i'm a big systems person and i felt like you know all throughout my career i've developed systems that work for me and i have tools that work for me in whatever role that i'm in and um very early on um in my role as editor-in-chief i just realized that these tools were not working and i was just really confused i'll use the word panic although i I wouldn't you wouldn't see that from the outside and it's not a dangerous panic it was just like this system wasn't working and um yeah, I knew. I mean, Pat, I'm almost embarrassed to say, Pete, I knew you were into this leadership thing. And I always thought it was a little <laughs> airy-fairy because I was successful at what I did, right? But all of a sudden, I was in a position where I didn't feel like I was in, in a position to succeed. And I'm like, I need a, a mentor or a wingman to help me through uh, some of these decision processes that I needed to go through to to build this system because whatever I have right now is is not engineered to go down the runway and so that's when I'm like Pete I need you uh, I don't know what for but we've got to talk Welcome, everyone, to the Leadership Shock podcast. My name is Pete Steinberg, and this is a podcast series linked with um, the book that I have called Leadership Shock um, that helps leaders through transitions. Um, The theme of this podcast is going to be really diving deep into the Leadership Shock model and talking about role expectation. And I have an old friend of mine um, that I helped through Leadership Shock, um, Paul Kononoff, from the University of Nebraska. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Pete. It's good to catch up again. It is good to catch up because we have we have a, a good history. So, do mm-hmm. you remember when we met? Do you actually remember when we met? Is I, that, is that, the, I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's like a blinding thing yeah. that you've never forgotten. <laughs> I think I do. Uh, I think it was 1998 when I moved from... Uh, Canada, Saskatchewan, to do my PhD at Penn State. And uh, I just ended up at the rugby pitch because uh, that was a a place I was comfortable. And yeah, I remember seeing you running around and and coaching on the field. And I think it probably was the the men's club at that time. So yeah, I I think... So the Happy happy Valley Barbarians? Well, no, that that came after. You introduced me to the Barbarians later, but it was actually the men's club. Yeah, oh, like the Penn yeah, State men's yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, well, I don't know. I don't know how much time we have, but um, yeah, a little background to that. I mean, I, I, I kind of relate to uh, international students showing up on campus and just seeing a lot of strange surroundings and looking for a place uh, for friends. And uh, obviously, the the rugby pitch is where I went first, and then you had talked to me about coaching. And uh, it just seemed like a great place to find sense of belonging, I guess. That's the term they use. And yeah, the rest is history. Had you thought about coaching before I talked to you? Was that something, had you done coaching before? Yeah, I had done, so um, I had done a little bit of coaching. I was still, I think physically, I was still uh, uh, really interested in playing. Uh, I had 
uh, done a little bit of coaching for my former high school team. It was uh, so a group of of uh, high school boys I had coached before, um, but really not. Um, you know, maybe one season, and I was working, so I wasn't there every every time. So that was really the the first introduction to official coaching, I think. And and, and I was pretty outnumbered by Canadians because I I was British, <laughs> and there was you, and then there was there was another Canadian called Dan LeBlanc. Um, and Grand you know, Dan. We coached they the, called him Grand Dan. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the Canadian red jersey, right? So I think <laughs> yeah. that was uh, like always right. wore, typical Canadian, always wearing yeah. his Canadian stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so we coached for a few years while you did your PhD. We had a lot of success mm-hmm. with the Penn State women's rugby mm-hmm. team. So when when you reflect on that time and, and the coaching that we did together, what did you take out of that coaching that you applied in the future as a leader? Yeah. So um, I think, you know, when I think back to, to that time, and obviously you were a leader in, in that situation, when I think back, you know, one of the things that I learned early on, I, I noticed it early on with you, and then I took um, later on in coaching, but just the whole notion of player development. I think when you're a player, and then maybe dabbling in coaching, you focus on the best players. And you know you're you're starting 15, and I really didn't give a lot of thought to you know the the greater number of individuals that came to practice or that were interested, maybe even just checking things out on the sideline. And so when you when you grow a team, an organization, I'm convinced one of the uh, successes, a big success for Penn State. Uh, was player development. And so to recognize those players, they may not be on the top 15, but you find an individual that maybe isn't gifted athletically, uh, but she comes into her own later on and she learns the game, or maybe she's really good at administration or a treasurer or something like that. But this whole notion of, of development and uh, working with people other than your top 15 players, that was that was a big thing that I learned. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And it's something that like, I, I have to say, Paul, that playing with you, you are much yeah. more competitive than I was. <laughs> so you were a very competitive player. And I think, I think we balanced each other out because you were yeah. more the competitive coach and I was more the development coach. And I think, yeah, yeah. that's part of what makes a, that's what, part, yeah. that, that's what, you know, makes a, a good team, I think. Yeah, the, just I mean the chemistry. I mean it has to be top down, like, like all the way through the the players, and then bottom up with the coaching. And yeah, I think like you, myself, and Dan, we also just had really good chemistry. Very different personalities, as you mentioned. Yeah. Dan was an aerospace engineer, so very analytical. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're right. I think it was a, a good mix of of, uh, of personalities as well. And then maybe just the other thing is. You know, just having people, uh, a culture where people are learning from each other, um, you know, whether it's the coaches learning from each other or the players learning from each other. Because, Pete, you remember, the? I mean, I don't know what it's like now at Penn State, but I remember it was like the three of us and 80 players. Uh, with yeah, like seventy five percent of which, like sixty, yeah, like sixty, sixty five, I think was probably, but it was a lot. And one yeah. percent had never played the game, so that was almost oh, it was right. overwhelming. Yeah, almost all of them, almost <laughs> yeah. all of them, right? So that, there was always a group yeah. of people that came in and were like, um, they would turn up, they would say, um, "Oh, I want to come play rugby," and would say, "Have you ever seen rugby?" Yeah, and they'll say, "No." And you're like, see, yeah. to teach a new sport to someone who had never seen it, it was like, it yeah. was, it was, it was, yeah, 
It's crazy. Now, a now lot of most of the kids that play at Penn State played in high school. That's what I've been seeing. Yeah, yeah I just follow them on. So we didn't actually like work together on Leadership Shock around rugby coaching. We did it in around your career and a particular role that you were taking. So mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about your career and how you ended up in this editor-in-chief role, yeah. which is where we work together. Yeah, yeah. So, Pete, when we were when I was at graduate school, I was studying uh, dairy science, animal nutrition, uh, and um, to make a long story short, I ended up at the University of Nebraska in a faculty position where I'm a professor of dairy nutrition. Um, our professional society is called American Dairy Science Association. So that's an association that puts on an annual scientific meeting and then also publishes its own journal. And um, I don't know, maybe halfway into my career at Penn's, at, at uh, Nebraska, I started uh, being involved with the journal first as a section editor and then as a senior editor. And so um, that was exactly that, serving as an editor for a peer review uh, publication. Um, the job of an editor is essentially to handle manuscripts as they go through the peer review process. So to identify people that are capable of uh, evaluating the paper scientifically and then ultimately making a decision based on their recommendations. Um, and then um, Spot opened up to take, I guess it's the the lead position in that journal as as editor-in-chief. And uh, through that, I um, stepped through that door to lead the journal. So this is always really interesting because you have this job, you're a successful professor. Why mm-hmm. did you take the editor-in-chief role? Yeah. Because that was a big step for you. So what was it that made you yeah. take that role? Yeah. It, it was a, a big step. I think like a lot of things, uh, you take steps without really understanding uh, where you're going. I mean, just like back to our time taking a step to Penn State, I had no idea where that would lead your careers. Yeah. So um, as I worked with the, the journal, um, I got an invitation to serve as the editor-in-chief. And um, be honest, when it was offered to me, I guess I, I really didn't understand what the position was, but the association had been so good to me in my career, uh, not only giving me opportunities with the association, uh, but also working with the journal. And the journal gave me tremendous uh, opportunities to be involved in a community of dairy scientists. And so um, I took the job really as editor-in-chief to serve the association and serve the journal got it so it sounds like it's a bit of a it was something i mean it's to be at service right so it's sort of you got a lot out of it it was part of Mm -hmm. um something that you felt almost an obligation to do because it it wasn't you know it wasn't necessarily a career benefiting move it was more something that you felt obliged to do yeah i think you know people will take those kind of roles for different reasons i hate to use the word uh, duty because it's not very exciting and it it sounds almost dubious. Uh, but I really felt like it's yeah it's uh, it seems like the journal needed me and the journal had have given me so much. Um, and uh, you know there's only a certain number of people that are at their stage of their career with the expertise that can step into that role. And so I'll use the term duty, but I'm, I'm going to use it with just a lot of blurry edges around it. But I did step in uh, to give something back. Yeah. 
So, so you take the role, yeah. and at some point after you take the role, you reach out to me. So, talk to me about yeah. what was going on yeah. that made you reach out to me. And we hadn't yeah. we hadn't connected for a while, right? right. So, talk talk a little bit yeah. about, about that. Yeah. So, um, I had I, I I think I was full professor at the time, so I had kind of earned my stripes as in my real job as a professor and i kind of understood how to be a successful faculty member a successful uh, scientist and i really felt like you know i was in a groove i i got the game uh and then uh this opportunity came up and initially i thought just like many other things in in my life i'm a big systems person and i felt like you know all throughout my career i've developed systems that work for me and i have tools that work for me in whatever role that i'm in and um very early on um in my role as editor-in-chief i just realized that these tools were not working now you wouldn't have seen it from the outside but i just i couldn't get it there were you know uh meetings people talking to me and i was trying to triangulate what I was supposed to be doing, where we were supposed to be going. And I was just really confused. I'll use the word panic, although I was, I wouldn't, you wouldn't see that from the outside and it's not a dangerous panic. Right. It was just like this system wasn't working. And um, yeah, I knew, I mean, Pat, I'm almost embarrassed to say, Pete, I knew you were into this leadership thing. And I always thought it was a little <laughs> airy-fairy because I was successful at what I did, right? But all of a sudden, I was in a position where I didn't feel like I was in, in a position to succeed. And I'm like, I need a, a mentor or a wingman to help me through uh, some of these decision processes that I needed to go through to, to build this system. Because whatever I have right now is, is not engineered to go down the runway. And so that's when I'm like, Pete, I need you. Uh, I don't know what for, but we've got to talk. Yeah, I mean, so so two things, Paul. First of all, you just gave, I think, um, a really good example of leadership shock because leadership shock happens to successful people because mm -hmm. it happens because they, they learn their behaviors and they learn their approach to leadership and the ways of working that have mm -hmm. been successful for them. And because it's been successful for them, they assume it's going to move forward. I actually think that mm -hmm. for you, you actually showed a lot of self-awareness to be like, something's not right. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're a systems thinker, I think, really, mm -hmm. um, you know, really helped you get there, which is like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm trying to change my system, but I'm not getting there. Mm -hmm. But I do remember, mm -hmm. you were very upfront, like, like, when we first talked, where you're like, this leadership woo-woo, airy-fairy mm -hmm. stuff, I'm mm -hmm. not sure I believe any of it, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I'm stuck, so I need some desperate. help. Like, it's one of those moments, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm so desperate, I'm even, I'm even going to reach out to you, Pete. <laughs> I think that's what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so one of the challenges that I think you had in the editor-in-chief role is that you didn't actually have a, a, a boss, Mm -hmm. Right, you reported yeah. to a board. Yeah. So, um, talk about how we, how the work that we did together, um, helped you interact and and change the way that you worked with the board. Right. So I think maybe just as as because I had background with the journal, um, it was pretty clear to me that important 
critical thing for the journal was that um, we needed to um, uh, receive publications, evaluate them uh, scientifically, and then ethically make decisions and publish them. And it was that side of the business that um, I felt like I understood. And I thought editor-in-chief was just more of that. And um, what I soon found out is um, that that was part of the job and that I was also involved in board meetings uh, with the board. And it was also a time where uh, the association actually had a vacancy for um, the executive director. And um, so I really didn't have anybody. Technically, I answered to the board, but I really didn't understand how that board responsibilities dovetailed into my responsibilities as editor-in-chief. Um, and, you know, that's something that you really helped me out with early on. Uh, you helped me set up and understand the expectations um, that were of me. And we spent a lot of time just talking. Um, I remember you asked me, well, what are your uh, expectations? And I give you a whole laundry list of things that I was responsible for. And you just kind of pushed that aside and you said, no, but Paul, what kind of things would happen uh, are, are, are expected out of you if you were not in that position? And we spent a lot of time just talking through um, what I think we've identified as expectations of me as editor-in-chief. Those expectations were certainly from editors, from authors, from staff, but also from the board and then the, the soon-to-become uh, executive director. So that's great, Paul. So one of the things that we talked about um, was that you had this board, but it isn't like a unified body. It actually has a whole bunch of different people that have different, maybe, I mean, maybe agendas are the wrong word, but maybe different views of what the publication should do. So talk a little bit about how, you know, the, the authentic leadership model we worked on helped you navigate sort of mm -hmm. the, some of the politics, which, mm -hmm. which if there's something I know about you, Paul, is you're not a politician. And you don't really suffer politicians yeah. that well, but this was yeah. kind of like a political yeah. space, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So um, you're right. I'm not one that likes to maybe uh, naturally go to board meetings and, uh, and even be the the spokesperson. That's just not my uh, my comfort zone. The board, it's it's um, so our association, as I said, I mean, just a wonderful association. Everybody that's on the board, it's also a voluntary position. And uh, uh, all of them are scientists from around the world and high power scientists, very clever individuals, and uh, also really passionate, not only about the association, but because with also the journal as well, because this was a journal that they work with, they publish their, their science in, their graduate students publish their work in it. So they were really uh, invested into the journal, you know, thought, um, um, knew that it was important not only to the association, but but their careers and the community and just dairy in general. Um, these are individuals. So are the way our association set up is uh, there's two sides of there's two groups really. There's what we call the foods group, and these are people that study milk and what you do with it. So you make cheese, ice cream, you understand the microbiology of it and, and the science of doing things with milk. And then uh, the other side is the production side, uh, where uh, you have scientists that are studying you know, how to make milk and what are the implications on the animal's health and that kind of thing. And so even these are, are two different cultures uh, as well. 
But um, many of these people, because they're very interested, you know, they would always tell me their view on the journal. And um, it was great. And, you know, as you know, I love to listen. I love to listen more than I do talk. But at the same time, as a leader, you need to act. And, you know, that was probably a time where uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, spurred me, one of the things to spurred me to uh, talk to you. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm assembling this information. Somehow I got to act. And, and so there was a lot of right. confusion uh, around that as well. So um, the board, you know, tremendous people, very smart individuals, committed individuals. But um, I never really understood my role. Um, as well with that board. And, and that was something that, that you and I talked through as well, which was critical for me. And I think any association is making sure everybody understands their role and their position. Nobody wants to be somewhere and wondering what they're doing there, right? It's just not a good place to be mentally, especially That's if you're right. busy. That's right. Well, so, I, I mean, I think this, this, this takes me to another place that, that, that it, it reminds me. So I think one of the things that in, in the role was that role of leader like you, you know, you, you, you prefer to be back of house, but actually you need to be front of house. And I, and if I remember correctly, Paul, we actually talked about, there's a big annual conference and people talk and you were like, I don't really want to talk at this thing. Like, I don't want to be up there talking, but actually your role, like if you really wanted to position the publication to be successful, if you wanted to move it, you had to be front of house. You had to talk in front of the group. And I think what was useful for you was that once you understood that was part of the role that you had to play, it made sense for you to do it. It wasn't a natural inclination, but it was something that that that, that allowed you to like be like, not natural. And the same way with the board, not natural to engage with this group in mm-hmm. a way. And and but but actually, I'm the leader. Yeah. Right. I'm the leader yeah. of the publication, and yeah. therefore, it's it's a requirement. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, I mean. Really, just for so many reasons, I think you you unlock some doors in my head that I didn't even know existed. Um, I know coming on into that role, you know, the only thing I knew were the leaders before me. And the leaders before right. me were really talented, really good, and different from what I was. Just different personalities. They did things differently. They had different uh, strong suits. And... Um, Right away, I'm thinking, well, I must need to be this person or that person. And this person had these strengths. I need to, um, I need to, uh, have these same identical strengths and do what they did. And of course, that was when I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this. This isn't me. And so, uh, for you to take some time literally to say, well, Paul, like, what are your strengths? And, uh, it's not a, place mentally i like to spend a lot of time thinking but to distill that down and say well what do i have to offer to the journal and to the association and once we identified those things and i realized oh well that's what i get to apply in those situations where i am you know on the podium or i am the spokesperson i can apply it in that way very much different than uh, those that were before me, but I was comfortable in doing that and recognizing that instead of wondering what you don't have, you realize what you do have. And it's a much more, I guess, uh, uh, empowering position to be when you've, when you've identified that in your head. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I'm actually working with a client right now who is potentially in line to be the CEO of their organization. And that they have exactly the same problem that you have or had Paul, which was they look at the previous CEOs and they're like, I like, that's not how I want to lead. And so the assumption was therefore I shouldn't be the CEO versus 
you can be the CEO how you want to be the CEO. You can be different. And that's one of the challenges that we all have as leaders is that we're really driven by the uh, um, the role models that we've seen only and and we never see ourselves as a role model. Right, right. Right. So, so, yeah. so we always see others as role models, but we never see ourselves as role models. So, you know, I have, I have one more question about your leadership mm. and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of like the role expectation, which was, you know, you, you talked about your um, journey as an editor and a senior editor and then the editor in chief. Well, and we've talked about your role in managing the board, which is mm-hmm. up, but talk mm-hmm. about what it was like managing down, right? You had yeah. senior editors that were your peers. Yeah, that now reported to you that yeah. that can't be easy. And talk yeah. through how how the way we work together may have helped unlock that yeah. too. Yeah. So um, I think you know, um, as I mentioned, just like the board, the editors. I mean, that is a star-studded group of scientists. I mean, have you ever had to find a? You probably haven't spent a lot of time looking for a dream team of dairy scientists, but it is that group. Very smart people, like at the top of their career, intellectually very quick, well-spoken. And then all of a sudden, you're in this position of leadership of that group, which, you know, for me, as, as I mentioned, was a little bit uncomfortable. But I, I don't see it. What I've learned is that it's not that much different than leading a rugby team. I mean, you have these people with, with different strengths and with different suits and you know your goal is to coalesce this group of people to work work together and um i think we mentioned earlier you know about the team penn state having having the team learn from each other and that was a culture that was very uh very clear once you and i talked that i i really had to ensure that we instilled this culture and built this culture where people can learn from each other because there's not enough time in the day we have 28 editors that are around the world for me to be working with each individual one to teach it teach them you know what their responsibilities were and and that, that they had to we had to identify some leaders in that group and make sure we had good communication there and just establish that that culture of learning together so so that was really important the other thing is you know these people are busy they're part of the association and it was it was clear another responsibility for me was to be an advocate for uh, them as editors to the board the board is very interested in the journal and what's going on and i realized that that's my role is also to uh, be an advocate for these individuals again they're also volunteers giving of their time they want to do the the best thing possible uh, they have needs they need to uh, demonstrate you know what their contributions are and so really uh understanding that role as an advocate was was really important to me and then it's just great like we go to these meetings and it's no different than a team meeting you have these these people that uh it's just it's just this team environment it's it's really quite cool and knowing that it was uh you know leading a team and recognizing what that team looked like um quite frankly never had that experience before professionally Wow, that's I mean, that's a pretty amazing statement, right? That mm-hmm. that you've never had that. Now, admittedly, you're in academia. That's a little bit mm-hmm. different than the mm-hmm. other people that we have on our podcast series or are from business. But 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 the challenge of leading experts, right? People that and, mm-hmm. and I, I know you Paul, people that you think are smarter than you, know more than you, right? Mm-hmm. Is 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 a real one for all leaders. And actually it like I don't need to know your. I don't need to be smarter. Like leadership isn't about being smarter. 
Leadership is about leading. It's about getting people to maximize their ability as a team. And having really smart, talented people is actually makes it easier than, than if you don't have that, you know? One of the things I, I, you know, really has resonated with me almost every day that I've since been with the journal. Um, one of the things that you charged me with is that you said, well, Paul, it sounds like one of your greatest expectations is, um, to ensure the well-being of the journal. And like when that hit, then I realized that a lot of the other stuff, the leadership stuff, all of a sudden becomes not easy, but more simplified. If you understand, well, this is this is what's expected of you, the well-being of the journal. And then you just move the pieces around for that goal, the well-being of you know the organization, or in our case, it was the journal. And so it was really key for me to identify that that was a, a big, important expectation of mine. Yeah, because it also leads, I mean, it links to your idea of obligation and duty. Like, mm-hmm. it isn't your journal. Right. Yeah. There's, there's right. a sense of like, 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 like you have some responsibility for some time mm-hmm. and then you're going to hand it over to someone else. Right. right? And yeah. a little bit like we always said at Penn State, leave the team better than you found it. Right. And so yeah. your job is yeah. to leave the journal better, better mm-hmm. than you found it and to be a caretaker. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and to care for its well being. So, um, um, that's, uh, I'm, I'm glad that that resonated. It still resonates with me as we, as we talk about it. When in our work together, what other aspects of the authentic leadership model stood out for you as impactful? We've talked a lot about role expectation, mm-hmm. but what's some of the, the other aspects? Well, um, uh, you had this element called priorities. Uh, I haven't, I've read parts of your book. I'm really curious to know how you <laughs> define it because I'm not sure I even know what it's defined, but I, but I, I found that very useful. Um, it's easy, you know, often I, I show up to work and I'll write out five things on a list of, of things I want to do. Almost always those are things that I like to do. And so to identify things that, um, that you know, may not necessarily uh, come natural to me. It's not that I dislike them, but maybe I'll do other things before. So tra- really trying to identify um, what those priorities are. So like for me, maybe an example is communication, um, making sure I have very timely communication. Um, it's not that I don't like to email or I don't like to talk to people, but I want to do it really thoroughly. So really to stake out that I will have timely and, and uh, rapid communication, even, it's ju- even if it's just, I got your message, I will respond in great detail. Instead of waiting, oh, I'm going to get to that email and I'm going to write three clear, well-thought-out paragraphs. So trying to identify the things that are, are really important that need to be done that you may not, you just need to be reminded of. And I think that was useful for me to identify what those things were. So talk a little bit about, um, you know, when you reflect now, how are you different as a leader? What's What has changed about the way you've led because of the work that we've done together? Mm-hmm. Well, in in some ways, it was a good. I think your program uh, was was a good series of uh, therapies, and I hope your book is a good is a good self self help book. But it really helped me understand, like, and gave me the the confidence to take the field, right? So identifying what my strengths were, and uh, you know what I brought 
to the game or to the journal. So, so taking that field with more confidence, and I guarantee I, I, I wouldn't have had had I, you and I not spent time going through your program. So, so that's been a big thing. Uh, the other one is, um, I know we talked a lot about we established my vision. And I remember thinking, well, that's front stage and center. That's what really what we should attack. Once we identify that, um, and it's going to take a lot of work, uh, then we can move on. Well, you know, for you identifying uh, my 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 value, my leadership approach, my expectations, and then all of a sudden, like towards the end, we got to the my vision, and it's not that we didn't spend time and effort putting into it, but man, it came way easier and maybe more importantly more naturally than i ever thought my vision would come i think we've all sat in meetings where you do mission statements and visions and they're kind of painful and they're not natural they don't unravel naturally but it seems like once i followed this circuitry that you put together the vision was really readily apparent yeah and i think part of that is just you're you're being metacognitive you're thinking you're reflecting and i think one of the interesting things about wh- when we worked together was as we like it's not like you wait till the end and then you're like now i'm going to be a different leader as you go through it you started to change things you're like oh i had this meeting and i did something differently because of what we did yeah and i think it 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 mm-hmm. it's, it is going on that journey and and that metacognition that deep reflection changes your mindset about vision right and it changes the way you view yourself mm-hmm. and it changes the way that like, like the things that you want to do and i think yeah it, it, it should and 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 the the hope is paul that you never have to call me again it, it may be a bad yeah. business model but the hope is that like <laughs> like like you now have some skills that yeah. allow you for your next transition to move forward yeah well and let me say that like and i don't know if you use the the term in your your book but i really believe that this is like some circuitry that i can carry around in my head and so i have done that um you know without going into a lot of details i've had other things where i've had to step in as a leader maybe in a smaller smaller realm but yeah i've been able to plug in this circuitry and uh apply it to that and it's it's been amazing to me just how robust uh it's it's made my i guess my leadership approach um i wouldn't have expected it that's yeah. great. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate you, Paul. You, you're willing to have this conversation. Your case study is in the book. Even in the book, we have your, um, the, uh, the, the system that you drew out. You, you, you took, which is very poor. You took, you, you took like your new leadership system or your new leadership approach and you built a system around it and you turned it into a graphic. And I think that was, that was really, really powerful. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And it's great to connect to you again. Um, we should find a time when you guys are going to come out to Colorado. Yeah. Like, with, with, with whatever kids that you have left at home. But if you ever come yeah. out West, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get to connect together or at least on the sideline of a Penn State rugby yeah. game sometime. I'd love to do that. Thank you. Great. Thanks. No, thanks, Pete, for everything you've done for me, really. It's just been tremendous. I, I really appreciate it and value your time. That's great. Thank you, Paul. Well, it was great to have that conversation with um, my old friend and client, Paul Kononoff. Um, Paul has had um, a great journey and some things that we really take away from his story. So the first is how important that role expectation is in how you manage the different stakeholders. So he was able to manage the board differently. He was able to manage the 
um, senior editors that worked with him differently. And so the role expectation is really critical in, in how you do that. I think the other thing that was important for Paul was the, the process itself of reflection, the metacognition, his ability to really think unlocked new opportunities and capabilities that he didn't realize he had. And then probably the third thing is that it kind of all fits together. But when he talked about how easy it was to come up with the vision, that's because of all the work that Paul had done earlier on in the process, right? It is a bit of a journey that gets there. But as you go through the journey, things do become easier. So role expectations. And we heard from Dr. Paul Kononoff and his role as editor-in-chief in a dairy science journal. Um, just a reminder that this is all part of um, the Leadership Sh Shock series of, of podcasts. There are 11 other podcasts that you can listen to that fit all the different areas and introduce people that have been through Leadership Shock and use the authentic leadership model. And if you want to, to know more, you'll find in the show notes a link to Amazon to be able to purchase the Leadership Shock book. It is designed to be used by anyone who's going through their career and finding themselves maybe not being them, their best self and their best leader. Um, and it gives you an opportunity to go through exactly the same journey that Paul went through as he transitioned into a new role and struggled. You'll be able to use the book to transition and be more successful as you move forward. So I would like to thank you for your time for listening and hope you'll check out one of the other episodes of the podcast.